And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 36 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, kind of excited. This weird situation where basketball season is winding down or a week away from you know, one of my favorite weekends of the year. But we're also starting SCS football. It's starting to get rolling again. The Salukis open up their home season tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but this weekend with uh, North Dakota State of all people. So, you know, just, just the Alabama of SCS football. But still, I'm excited. I've got season tickets for the first time for the Saluki football. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. Maybe the FCS can kind of, maybe they'll move to this permanently. I mean, that would be great for fans and I think their their exposure too. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some spring football out of the FCS. Uh, really kind of wondering how how they'll go about doing like national nationally televised games. Because um, mm-hmm. typically when the FCS and FBS are playing at the same time, yeah, you may see a game here and there that makes it on ESPNU or, you know, something like that. But now... With, with no competition for the FBS and FCS for uh, television rights. Uh, I'm interested to see how many FCS games this spring make it on uh, national television. Uh, right. I mean, especially with, you know, all the money that the college football and just the NCAA in general has lost out on over the last basically year, year and a half. It wouldn't surprise me to see more than, more than a few FCS games televised nationally. Um, do I think it would look good if they played in the spring going forward? I don't know. Um, I think they'd still probably benefit from doing it in the fall, uh, just because you're basically battling with the elements of winter still, um, especially with the first couple weeks now. Now, if they did want to go in the spring at some point, they may try and have a better schedule. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know for like the Ohio Valley purposes, you know, this past week, I think every game was postponed except for the Tennessee Tennessee Tech and Austin P game because the rest were had snow on the field. Um, but I did watch that Tennessee Tech Austin P game. It was great to see football again in the Ohio Valley FCS in general. Um, so I don't know. I don't really if it was if it was to go in the spring. I mean it. To me, it really wouldn't matter um, a whole lot in my mind. Um, I'm going to watch it regardless if it's in the fall or spring. <laughs> but for fame, you, know, you, you just have fewer things trying to battle it, though. You know, instead of yeah. a, a good SEC or Big Ten matchup, like, hey, this is what I'm going to watch the OPC for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the one thing you do have to take into consideration would be if they did move it to the spring. Um, you, I don't know if you'd have you'd have to have something like they did this year, where you're allowed to play non-conference games in the fall because you're still going to have to get those bye games. So if FBS finishes mm-hmm, in the true. fall, you know, you're going to have to play a couple games there and then the rest in the spring. So if I had to guess, they're just going to continue into the fall, so they're not just juggling. Okay, three games here, five or six games in the spring. But I don't know. Uh, but during this week's episode, we'll look back at this past week, look ahead to the slate of games this week between the Missouri Valley Conference and the Ohio Valley Conference. Assistant coach for the UT Martin men's basketball team, Zach Carpenter, joins the show to talk Skyhawks hoops and more that's going on in the Ohio Valley. Also, at the end of the show, TJ will give his all-conference first team for the Missouri Valley Conference 
while I will do the same for the Ohio Valley. First, a look back at last week's games. TJ, I'll let you go first for the Missouri Valley Conference. Well, there were only two series this weekend, so a total of four games. Uh, Evansville went to Drake, and Evansville has kind of hit the tough part of their schedule here. I think now they've lost six in a row, and they're playing Missouri State to finish up the season. Uh, the big news, though, is the loss of Roman Penn for Drake here in the first game. He uh, went out with with an injury and never returned, and uh, he was overshadowed somewhat. You know, his injury was because Joseph, it was the Joseph Yusufu show this weekend for Drake on the first game in which Drake wins 85-71, and really it wasn't that close. Uh Yusufu had 32 points on 12 of 14 shooting. So he had a heck of a night, uh, 13 points for DJ Wilkins. The, uh, the Bulldogs shot 52% from three point range, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we talked about that the other day. If I shot 52% in the gym by myself and told you that you'd be like, no, you're lying. <laughs> so, um, I say it wasn't that close because at one point with about eight and a half minutes to go in the second half, Drake was up 31 points and they started making some substitutions, got their senior uh, Connor Golson in for the end of the game there. So got him some minutes and uh, Shamar Givens with 19 and then Evan Kuhlman and, uh, and Aruna both had 13 for the aces. They, they still shot 51% from the floor overall, but just, just wasn't enough. It was just, you know, I think they jumped out to like a 13 to eight lead and all of a sudden Drake just kind of, okay, here we're ready to play now and took off with it. Uh, the second game was still more Joseph Yusufu. Drake wins 74, 63. And really it wasn't that far apart. I mean, they were tied with 16 and a half minutes to go. And then Drake eventually opened it up to about 15 points with 244 to go. So it was, it was more of a, of a, of a tighter game than the final score would indicate of that 11 points, but Yusufu continued his hot shooting 36 points, five for eight from three point range and nine for 10 from the free throw line and got help from Garrett Sturts with 12 points and DJ Wilkins with another double digit game with 11 points. Garrett Sturts actually had a double double because he added 10 boards to that. And again, they shot really well, 44% from three, 53% from two point range. And we had four guys in double figures for Evansville. Shamar Givens again, leads in with 17 points. Kuhlman was 16, Jawan Newton had 14 points, and Samari Curtis had 13. So, but really, in the in the league, you have your top four who are going to be your top four seeds going into the tournament next weekend, regardless of what happens this weekend. Uh, the other series, Valparaiso went to Southern Illinois, and we saw a split there. And Valparaiso ended up winning by one point, and the the game winning basket was hit by Agnosevich with four minutes and three seconds left. Sheesh. Then Southern Illinois scored with 339 left to make it 66, 65, and no one scored for the last three and a half minutes of the game. So, uh, SIU had a chance to win at the buzzer. Stephen Burplankin had a point blank look right there at the rim and just couldn't get it to go. Would have easily won the game for them. Donovan Clay led the, led Valparaiso, excuse me, before I misspeak, uh, with 15 points. Aaron Gordon, you know, a member of my uh, blue-collar team, went three for three from three-point range for all nine of his points. And Jacob Ignacevich, the freshman out of uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, 
had 15 points. So uh, I think that's when they kind of slipped away from Southern Illinois. They had the lead at half and just got outscored by six in the second half. And I think, you know, anyone that was a part of that program would tell you that that was one that, that slipped through their fingers. Got the feeling they were going to let another one slip through their fingers in day two, but Southern Illinois ended up winning 67-64. Uh, ben Cricky had 15 for Valparaiso. And I say let it slip through their hands. SIU had a 12-point lead with 14 and a half minutes to go, and I think it was a 10 or 11-point lead with five and a half minutes to go, but they end up winning by three. And part of that was SIU's free throw shooting. They went 13 for 21 in the game, you know, missing those eight free throws and really allowed Valparaiso to, to have a, a puncher's chance, so to speak, there at the end. But Lance Jones came up big for the Salukis again with 21. Uh, Kyler Filowich continues his very stellar freshman year with 11 points and eight boards. Blanken had another strong game with 12 points, and then Dalton Banks and Ben Harvey both had 10 points off the bench for the Salukis. Oddly enough, SIU had zero second-chance points in the game. Wow. So, I, I, you know, I think watching them, I, rebounding is one area where I, I think you can really tell they miss not only Damask, but DJ Mulia, the, the uh, transfer student, the Juco transfer, who has missed the entire season with a knee injury, had knee surgery right before games started. So those were the only four games I had on my side. And, uh, you know, we'll get into kind of 10 games coming up this weekend in a minute. How are things on the OVC side? So on the OVC side, uh, there were a couple great games uh, dating back to Thursday. You had Jacksonville State. I mean, they gave Belmont everything they wanted. It looked as if uh, Jacksonville State was going to come away with a win down at uh, Belmont. And, you know, Belmont's been receiving votes basically up at the top with most votes received, I think, with Oklahoma State over the last two weeks. And it looked like if Belmont took care of business, they may have a chance to sneak in, which they, they did not get in this week, but they're still up at the top for most votes received. But it looked as if that wasn't even going to be an option because Jacksonville State led at the half, 27-22. They would end up falling 63-59. to But the Bruins were led in scoring by Caleb Hollander, 18 points, 8 rebounds. He was a big reason why uh, the Bruins were able to come back and continue that undefeated stretch in Ohio Valley play. The reason Jacksonville State was able to stay in it as long as they did It was their three-point defense. I mean, as everybody knows, Belmont loves to shoot the three-ball. They held Belmont. They held Belmont to 11% from three-point distance. Three of 26. So three again. Three of 26. Three of 26 from three-point range. Goodness gracious! And that had a lot to do with why Belmont only had 22 first-half points. Uh, Jacksonville State, on the other hand. Only finished 59 points. If they were able to have a little bit more offense than one guy, they probably end up winning at Belmont. But Darian Adams, out of the 59 points, had 24 of them. Mm-hmm. So there was not a lot of balance on Jacksonville State's offense. He was the only guy able to get going. But really a good back-and-forth game in the second half. And, you know, it, it's just going to make the OVC tournament that much more interesting. But... In the end, Belmont came away with a four-point win. Uh, Another game on Thursday, Eastern Illinois, Murray State. Eastern Illinois looks to be getting uh, close to full strength. Each game that comes and goes, they seem to have another player that's been able to get into the game. You know, for the longest time, they only had, I think, what, seven guys eligible to play. 
But this week they had they had eight guys against Murray State and they had nine against Austin P. But in this game, uh, Eastern Illinois knocked off Murray State 68-59 at Murray State. EIU would end up sweeping the series between the two. Um, Marvin Johnson and Jordan Skipper Brown had 18 and 16 points respectively, held Murray State to 19% from three-point range. Eastern led 31-29 at the half and basically just played good defense the rest of the way. They didn't do anything really spectacular. They didn't force that many turnovers. They just played some solid defense, and that helped helped Eastern stay in the hunt for the tournament in Evansville. Austin P. Eastern Kentucky, and Tennessee State also won uh, this past Thursday. Move forward to this past Saturday. We'll stick with Eastern Illinois and the Panthers here. Uh, they were winners at Austin P. 76-69, so a hell of a week for Coach Spoonauer and the Panthers. Real successful road trip. Uh, Max Smith led the way with 22 points while going 5 of 5 from three-point range. So, he, I mean, you, you look at Eastern Illinois right now. They sit at 9-16, and 6-12 and 12 in the conference. If things go a certain way, which we'll get to here in a little bit, Eastern Illinois could find themselves in the tournament, possibly as an eighth seed. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, if they get into the tournament, I wouldn't want to play them. You know, they've been so, oh, I don't know what the right word is, but basically, they, yeah, we'll go with that, snake bitten. And they get into the tournament, Coach Spoonhauer's just preaching to the team, hey, we're restarting our season here. We're starting 0-0, zero right. zero, and I'd be scared. I mean, They've shown they can beat the better teams in the conference. They're getting back to full strength. I mean, I, you know, if they can find a way in, I mean, wow, it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting for Eastern Illinois and the conference in general. Outside of Eastern Illinois, uh, you look at the SEMO and Eastern Kentucky uh, series because right. you look at that series, and I mean, it, it was a hell of a series, whirlwind for the two teams. Uh, Simo and Eastern Kentucky, they split the series, both having a win of 22 points. So neither game was that close. Uh, game one, Simo won 94-72. to 72. That's a lot I, of points. I mean, for anybody that's watched Simo this year, nobody saw that coming. Uh, they have not been, you know, this offensive juggernaut. They've won a lot of games in the 60s, uh, a game in the 70s here and there. First half, it was unbelievable. They outscored Eastern Kentucky 50 to 24. 50 first wow. half points for SEMO. And a lot of that was their three point shooting. As a team, they shot 56% from three point range. Uh, Chris Harris led the way with 18 points. Eric Reed added 16. And Nana Akenton contributed 15 points. Uh, DQ Nicholas didn't find the double-digit scoring uh, for the game, but he did have eight points, seven assists, and ten rebounds. So a very good game for him as well. Um, I mean, just Nigel Russell also finished with 13 points in 18 minutes off the bench. I mean, for a team of Eastern Kentucky's caliber this year, they, they came in 18-5, and five, and SEMO's defense uh, just really stuck it to him. Uh, Eastern Kentucky took a lot of three-point shot opportunities. They attempted 28 threes. 
still shot 39%. So, I mean, you'd think that's that's not bad, you know, 39%. But you, right. you flip the script, Simo makes 14 to 25, and you're like, well, holy crap, you know. <laughs> but you go ahead and look at Monday, game two, the script is completely flipped. Eastern Kentucky wins 87 to 65. Eastern Kentucky has five players in double figures, led by Wendell Green Jr. with 23. Trey King added 15 in the game. Colonel shot 61% from three-point range, whereas Simo, 27%. So you go two days prior, Eastern Kentucky 39%, Simo 56%. Flip it to Monday. It was the Colonel's red hot from three, 61%, whereas Simo couldn't buy a bucket, 27% from behind the arc. So that's kind of the the main games that I wanted to touch on there for a minute. But the one area that we did mention, uh, I'll do the winner of the week from this past week. Uh, it's by far Eastern Illinois, uh, 2-0 on the road, trying to get back into the hunt for uh, the tournament in Evansville. Looking ahead to this week, TJ, uh, it looks like the Missouri Valley is going to have a lot more games uh, from compared to this past week. Uh, so what's the Missouri Valley looking like? Well, because of the the scheduling to double up, you know, where you're not going home and away, you're playing two games at the one-team school, you're actually going to have ten games this last weekend, five on Friday, and then they'll all repeat and do the same thing on Saturday. Southern Illinois goes to Loyola and I think Loyola is playing pretty well. I think they'll be able to to sweep SIU on their home court to finish up the season. Drake goes to Bradley, and Bradley is still uh, without some of those players. Uh, I know that just Sean Henry's back. I'm not sure about Elijah Child, but I know they still have some of those guys being disciplined. Uh, Coach Wardle seems really happy though with the guys that are in practice and says that they've you know really been haven't haven't shut down yet. And that was the impression I had from the, the coach's Zoom call. Missouri State goes to Evansville, and like I said, I think Missouri State is playing pretty well right now, and, and Evansville is just, you know, they hit that tough part of this year. They're playing the four best teams in the league for their last four series here. That's a kind of a tough way to end the year. I think when so I think Drake will sweep Bradley, and I think Missouri State will sweep Evansville. Indiana State Valparaiso could be an interesting one. I still think Indiana State sweeps but I wouldn't be totally surprised if Valparaiso sneaks out a win uh, being on their home court here to end the season. And in the last series that I had is Northern Iowa, Illinois state. And I think there's going to be a split. I think they're both have been pretty inconsistent. And uh, you know, that's while I'll be cheering for Northern Iowa because I want my Salukis to stay out of the 10 C because if Illinois state gets one win, they will uh, push SIU probably to the 10 C because they'll be tied and it'll come down to their net ranking. And, and Southern Illinois is just not high enough. So recap, I think every series is going to be a sweep except for the Northern Iowa-Illinois State series. I mean, it looks Where like this, I mean, it looks like it's just going to be a action-packed uh, weekend for the Missouri Valley. And yeah, for sure. Uh, you look at what the standings have looked like recently in the Missouri Valley. Uh, going into this final week, do you see one team – maybe able to move up a couple spots prior to the tournament? Uh, I think not really, because I think you have those top four, Loyola, Drake, Missouri State, Indiana State, which uh, 
you know, are big because you're obviously getting a Thursday. The next two big spots to get are five and six. And Evansville's kind of been hanging there the whole year. And uh, I think Valparaiso, they're actually tied right now. Uh, Valparaiso and Evansville. But I think Valparaiso comes out on top if they if they go to the net because Evansville's got a really low net right now. So my projection is, is that Valparaiso gets the five seed and Evansville gets the six seed to stay off of Thursday night so that they will get that first buy. And then rounding out with Northern Iowa at seven, Bradley at eight, Illinois State at nine, and Southern Illinois at 10. And, you know, like I said, if Illinois State doesn't get a win, then they're obviously the 10 seed because they only have five league wins right now compared to the six for Southern Illinois and Bradley. So that's kind of where I see it right now. I don't really see any significant moves without an upset. But, you know, I say four sweeps, but it's that's been the exception rather than the rule. You know, you think, well, I may get two games at home, but there's been a lot of, you know, of splits throughout the season. So that's very possible. But sure. I, I just don't see it this weekend. So on the Ohio Valley side, uh, some good games this week. And, and well, it's this weekend, Thursday and Saturday, there's so much on the line. Uh, you got Belmont trying to stay undefeated and they have a, they got a tough schedule here. Uh, they Thursday they traveled to Richmond to play Eastern Kentucky, uh, twenty four and one against Eastern Kentucky, nineteen and six. And if if one was to picture this game, you're just going to picture yourself, you know, watching a track meet. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. going to be so fast. And Vegas has already released the over under for the game. One hundred and sixty and a half is the over under. I mean, both teams love to shoot the three. Both teams love to get up and down the floor. Going to be a great game to watch. Uh, If there's a team that could upend Belmont, it could be Eastern Kentucky if Eastern Kentucky's able to stay out of foul foul trouble. That was an area where the Colonels saw themselves, you know, the last couple games. Trey King found himself in foul trouble pretty early in the first half and then didn't get a whole whole bunch of minutes you know come the second half uh, so Belmont Eastern Kentucky should be a very good game uh, it's not nationally televised still on ESPN plus um, Murray State and Jacksonville State that's another good game where there's a lot on the line you know those two teams are right there in the conference and you look at that top six uh, Jacksonville State's 11 and six or Murray State's 10 and eight so if Murray State's able to get a win they would move to eleven and eight. Jacksonville State would fall to eleven and seven. And I think, I think I was talking to you on the phone about this earlier in the week. Uh, after everything's right. all said and done, unless there's a game that's getting made up that I haven't seen or it hasn't made the schedule yet, uh, Jacksonville State and SIUE would both be playing, or would have finished the season with nineteen conference games, whereas the rest of the conference would have played their full twenty if these next two days of games are able to, you know, if they're able to get them all in. So, it, I mean, that one game that, you know, didn't get made up, I mean, that would be interesting to see if that's a factor. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, Murray State and Jacksonville State should be a good game down in uh, Jacksonville, Alabama. Uh, Austin P and Tennessee Tech, that game's also on Thursday. And then you have Tennessee State and Moorhead State on Thursday as well at Moorhead, Kentucky. 
the area I want to draw most of the attention to, you look at the standings, the top six, it's there. Then you look at seven through ten. You have, gotcha. you have SEMO seven and eleven in conference, SIUE six and eleven, Eastern Illinois six and twelve, UT Martin five and thirteen. Tennessee State and Tennessee Tech, they're uh, the eleventh and twelve right now, and uh, there's just not enough games left for them to have a chance to work their way into that eighth spot. So you look at the seven, eight, nine, and ten spots right now in the standings, and there is so much on the line for these final two games. And this is what it looks like for these final two games. SEMO in the seventh spot, their final two games at Eastern Illinois, at SIUE. Their record on the road is one and nine. One and nine on the road. Go to the eighth, eighth spot right now, SIUE. Their final two games at home against UT Martin and SEMO. You go to the ninth seed, Eastern Illinois. Their final two games at home, SEMO and UT Martin. UT Martin's road record, one and eight. And then UT Martin, it, it fills itself out. You know, both their games on the road at SIUE and at Eastern Illinois. So the four teams trying to get a spot in Evansville all play each other multiple times. If SEMO wins one game, they are in. If SEMO wins both and UT Martin wins both, UT Martin is in. If SEMO loses both, SEMO and UT Martin are both out. So in order for UT Martin to get in, SEMO has to win both, and UT Martin has to win both. Um, but, I mean, the, then you can start mixing and matching some of these other wins with Eastern Illinois and SIUE to depending on which one of those two would get in. I mean, there are so many scenarios that it, it's it just made my head hurt. Mm-hmm. Um and I can't tell you the last time it was like this in the Ohio Valley. Um, with this, yeah, there's been times where teams don't get into that final weekend, sure. But where there's four teams trying to get in, and the, all four of those teams are playing those four teams, I, I can't remember the last time I saw that. So if I had to look right now, the teams that have the upper hand right now are going to be SIUE and Eastern. Why? They're both at home for both games, and SEMO and UT Martin both only have one road win. However, you look at SEMO, they've been playing great lately. Beat Austin P. beat Eastern Kentucky. UT Martin, uh, they swept the series against SEMO this year. Um, and you look at some of the other games in there, SIUE, they're 0-1 against SEMO this year. Uh, Eastern Illinois, 0-1 against SEMO this year. Um, UT Martin, what they've done head-to-head against these other two, uh, they beat Eastern Illinois 51-41 at home. They did lose to SIUE by 16. Um, so there's just so much to look at. And it's, if one team gets hot, they're just they're going to coast into the tournament. So... 
I don't know what's going to happen. I do know Eastern Illinois is getting more healthy, and that's that's a huge step for Coach Spoonhour, especially rounding out this season at home for two games. I mean, the, the team couldn't get more healthy right now than what they're – or couldn't have picked a better time to do it than now. And I, gotcha. I saw somewhere, and I can't remember where, but I had read where it looked like there's only like one guy in Eastern Illinois that hadn't missed four games or more this year. Um, I got to figure out where I saw that because I was trying to look before we started and I, I couldn't find it, but I thought I had read that somewhere, which is just, just blows your mind completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot to look forward to in the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley uh, this weekend. But with that, TJ, we'll go ahead and bring bring you guys the interview when we caught up with UT Martin's assistant basketball coach, Zach Carpenter. And we are joined by UT Martin's assistant basketball coach, Zach Carpenter. Coach Carpenter, thanks for taking time to join the podcast this week. How is everything with you going? I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, things are well. You know, we're, we're winding down the season last uh, road swing uh, this weekend, Thursday, Saturday. So we're getting ready to leave tomorrow. Hopefully uh, you guys will be able to end the, end the regular season on a high note. And hopefully uh, you might find yourself uh, playing in Evansville, you know, coming up. I hope so. You know, we have to take care of business, uh, you know, starting on Thursday. It's one game at a time with us. And we take care of business Thursday and then uh, Saturday, and we'll see where the uh, chips fall. So that, that's the plan. Okay. Well, we'll get right into it here. Uh, what was it about the UT Martin job that helped you make the decision on wanting to be a part of the UT Martin Skyhawks program? Um, well, I've been in junior college for nine years. Um spent eight of those years in, in, in the state of Illinois, two years at Wabash Valley, and then six years at John A. Logan. And I had just left and went up to Indian Hills up in Iowa. And being from Tennessee originally, um, they they had a spot opened up. It was late October. And, you know, it was a chance for me to get closer to home, be closer to family. So I jumped on the opportunity and was very thankful to Coach Stewart for believing in me and bringing me on board. Now, I know you had coached at – or were on staff at Tennessee Tech. So some of the familiarity with, you know, the Ohio Valley, did that help make it easier to, you know, kind of transition into the UT Martin uh, job? It did. It did. You know, the OVC is a league that I have followed throughout my career, just from obviously getting my start really at Tennessee Tech and two years there. And knowing a lot of the OVC guys, they recruited a lot of our guys when I was in junior college. So it was a very familiar league to me, and, and that also played a role in um making the decision to come to UT Martin. Head coaches get a lot of credit for the success of programs and sometimes assistants get overlooked. Dating back to last year, you helped develop Quentin Dove and Parker Stewart. Both had great seasons a year ago for the Skyhawks with Dove leading the OVC in scoring. What kind of time and effort on your part goes into the development of players of that caliber? You know, it's something that's part of the job and I really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, You know, those guys made themselves into players. You know, they, they put the work in. You know, we were there to help guide them and, you know, show them a few things. But though those guys really took to it and put the work in. And it was a lot of long hours in the gym. But that, that's part of the fun. That, that's one of the fun parts of this job is, you know, being able to see guys grow on the court and off the court. And, and like I said, those guys, they did a great job. They were two of the hardest workers we had. And they spent countless hours in the gym. Because I believe Dove, I mean, with him leading the league with over 22 points per game, I think that was 
probably the first Skyhawk that led the league since, uh, I guess, Lester Hudson played down at UT Martin. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Um, I think he was the first one since Lester did it. And and Quentin came in, you know, he was a JUCO kid that we had and was second-team all-conference. I think he averaged about 14 a game his junior year, and then he really made a jump. You know, he, you saw a lot of strides with him over the summer. He stayed down here in the summer, got bigger, stronger. It was just in the gym. That's one of those things the guys ask you to get in the gym. You, you never want to tell them no. So he, you're constantly getting asked to get in the gym. Coach, you come rebound me. Coach, can you work with me on this? And it's, that's one of the things that I really enjoy about this this job. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you love seeing players take the initiative to, you know, want to get in the gym or want to get those extra shots up, whether it be after practice or especially after a home game or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's really paying off for him. You know, Quentin's over right now in, I think, the Republic of Georgia, and he's having a great season. You know, we stay in contact about once a week through uh, a WhatsApp. He, he's constantly sending me what he's doing, and he's having a great year over there. He's getting about 20-something points a game, close to 10 rebounds a game. So it's the same thing he was doing here, he's doing uh, as a professional now. Good. You love, love to see that happen, you know, keep transitioning from level to, you know, the highest levels you can get. As a coach, I'm happy for him as well. So, as a coach, what has been the hardest part about navigating through this COVID-riddled season across all of college basketball? I mean, especially as an assistant coach, I mean, I'm sure your schedule has changed more than most people could even imagine this year. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes that goes into it, um, from you know being put on pause or being in isolation to having games canceled because the other team it's not necessarily us you know we've had a few times this year where we find out the night before hey game got canceled you know they we play in thursday saturday and we play the thursday game well come saturday we're not playing because of because the team popped a positive because you're testing three times a week so you may play the game and then test the next morning after the game and somebody tests positive so one that's been one of the hardest things and keeping the guys um keeping their minds right throughout the whole quarantine phase and isolation phase has been one of the hardest things. You know, when we were, when, when our team was on pause, we had a stretch there for about four or five weeks where we practiced about three times Jeez. and we did zoom meetings with them every day, wow. you know, as a staff and had everybody on there just checking on them because nobody could have any in-person contact with them. So just checking on them, see if they needed anything, how they were doing mentally, if they had any questions about what was going on. So to me, that's been the, been the biggest, I guess, hurdle that you to overcome with COVID. Well, you mentioned that there were times where, you know, the game got canceled just the night before. Uh, we had Coach Spoonauer on uh, towards the beginning of, you know, this season, and he was telling us that, you know, they were on their way back from, I believe, Marquette, and I guess Dayton had called them asking if he wanted to play a home game with them and he said he, he basically just hung up on him because he's like no I don't want to play them you know I just lost by 20 20 something here at Marquette but on the road the whole week and they want me to come play at Dayton and it's like but then he said you know I kind of realized like okay I, I better play as many games as I can while the team's healthy because if a game gets canceled you know a week or two down the road there you know you may not be able to make up all those non-conference games yeah, and, and that happened to us. We played. Um, we were supposed to play at Illinois, and I'm trying to think of who we had just played. We play a game, 
And then I think it was the Evansville game, supposed to play Illinois next. Well, we had a kid who tested positive the next day. And so we were supposed to leave that the following day. We got the results about 10 o'clock that night, and we're supposed to leave the next morning. And it was one of those things that contact tracing, nobody had contact with the kid. But the Big Ten had a 21-day rule in place that if anybody were to test positive, they get shut down for 21 days automatically. So we end up having to lose that game. Then we scheduled Tennessee later on. Same thing. We tested, we had another one test positive, had to cancel that game. So it's, it's been one of those things. And I've had guys call me, I think it was uh, a buddy of mine at Arkansas state. They were actually on the bus headed to Texas to play. They get a call while they're on the bus. Um, that somebody down there had tested positive and they're shut down. He called me, wanted to know if I knew of anybody looking for a game. So it's just, it's been crazy trying to figure out the whole scheduling thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine trying to, you know, be the, you know, the athletic director or one of the coaches trying to put games together on the schedule because every time you feel like you have a plan going, it just gets blown up right in your face and then you're like starting over from scratch again. It does. It does. I mean, you, and you got to be with, with this. Uh, Coach Stewart used to always say you got to be an elite problem solver, and that's one of the things that everybody's had to step up and just try to figure things out and be real flexible with it. So, with the tragic news that took over UT Martin's program and the Ohio Valley Conference, with the passing of Coach Stewart, uh, Montez Robinson was tabbed with the interim head coaching duties. How has the transition been for not only Coach Robinson, but the whole staff included, as I would assume everyone's roles uh, would have increased a little bit uh, this year? You know, it it was tough at first, um, just from the aspect of Coach Robinson and Coach Stewart were very close friends. Um, They had been friends for a long time beforehand. And then, you know, they wanted to work together, so that's when Coach Robinson came here. And to slide over into the role that he was put into being one of his best friends was the hardest part for him. The coaching side of it, that was a smooth transition. Um, but just sliding over to, you know, replace one of your best friends that had just unfortunately passed away was, was, was hard, was difficult. It was difficult for everybody. Um, I had known coach Stewart for many years from when I was back in my junior college days. So, and you know, he's the first one to give me an opportunity at this level. So it was tough, and our other assistant coach Walker has known Coach Stewart for about twenty years. He played for him in junior college. So, okay, I mean, you know, from that side of it, it was tough. But the the coaching side of it, it was a smooth transition. You know, Coach Robinson was great. He's great with the guys and very knowledgeable about the game. So that from that aspect, it was very smooth. Yeah, it helps that you know all the coaches were kind of close knit. So I mean, everybody knew what would I guess going to be expected of them to help the. They knew the UT Martin program, so it wasn't like they had somebody coming from outside of the program trying to, you know, you know, kind of hit the restart button. So it kind of, I'm sure that helped with the transitioning as well. It did. It did. Our, our athletic director and administration was great through the whole process of, you know, making sure we had what we needed, um, constantly checking in with us, you know, just to make sure the guys were good, that we were good as a, as a staff and everything. So from that, that side of it, they were great. So we kind of mentioned it here just a minute ago, but as you had said, the Illinois and Tennessee games were canceled. Uh, having played the Ole Miss game, the program only played one of three bye games, essentially. Was it tough to get bye games on the schedule, 
or maybe more specifically trying to reschedule different buy games and just trying to get a certain non-conference schedule, you know, set in stone? I would say it was tough to get buy games. It was tough to get uh, the money you're used to getting for buy games. Sure. Um, COVID really drove the price down this year. And, you know, we were still lucky enough to get, you know, what we normally would get from Ole Miss and wasn't quite as much from Tennessee and um, Illinois, but, you know, it, it was still really good. So, yet we were more selective with who we played because of the money situation, you know, being in a place like UT Mark, uh, you know, we rely on buy games from basketball and football um, throughout the athletic department. So that, that was, that was the toughest part, but there were, there was plenty of people offering games. I, I guess it was just more or less seeing if, if you wanted to travel, you know, basically outside of the regions. I know it looks like a lot of, a lot of teams this year, especially wanted to kind of stay local and play those games or it was close enough to travel via the bus so you didn't have to worry about staying in hotel or getting on an airplane and really getting right. a lot of those that miles. That was one of the in. things that, you know, we were we weren't going to do is we weren't going to go anywhere we had to fly um, this year. We were actually supposed to play at Nevada and at Oregon State originally and, you know, we ended up canceling those just because of the whole getting on a flight and contact tracing, COVID testing. When you get there, you have to be there for X amount of days beforehand if you did. And the cost just wasn't worth it. Um, so that that was that also came into play. And Ole Miss is two and a half, three hours down the road for us. So that, that was easy. Illinois would have been an easy trip for us. And obviously Knoxville being a part of the UT system being another easy one for us as well. So since this was kind of like a, a season unlike any anybody could have actually ever really planned for, you know, for the contract purposes for like getting those big big schools on the schedule, since those had to basically be canceled due to COVID, does that basically just kind of get rid of the whole contract in general, or is there a possibility that you guys may pick up a game at Oregon State like next year or you know the year after? I think I'm not too in tune with the, when it comes to the contract side of the scheduling. I think it completely wiped it out, and you start with a clean slate next year, okay. uh, picking your games and people reaching out. I don't, I don't think it was anything that got bumped a year. Okay. But due to the COVID-riddled season, the NCAA extended eligibility for players this season. Uh, what are your thoughts on the eligibility being extended? You know, I think it's a great thing for the NCAA to do to give these kids an extra year of eligibility. Because some of them, they didn't know. I mean, you never know when you're going to test positive or when a teammate may test positive, it may not even be you, and you miss five, six, seven, eight games, and it's your senior year. So I thought that was a very, a very good thing the NCAA did, grant these kids an extra year. Um, and it allowed some guys, you know, it allowed these freshmen a freebie. You know, instead of having to take a redshirt year, some of them, they, they get a whole year under their belt, and then they're freshmen again next year. So I, I thought it was a great thing. Were you surprised about the announcement of Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State basically saying they're going to be leaving the Ohio Valley for the A-Sun? I was. Um, after talking to some other people, I, I had heard it was a football decision. Okay. Uh, so that made more sense. But, you know, that's – football runs athletics. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's – you got to go where the money is. But I, I was a little shocked when I had heard they were going to the A-Sun. Because, I, I mean, um, when you look at it, 
especially from like a Jacksonville State standpoint, you know, about, I guess it was at least 10 years ago, I would assume, they had Sanford in the OVC. So you kind of had like two schools down there that, you know, it wasn't like it was just Jacksonville State down there. So I guess maybe the travel for, I don't know, a certain aspect, maybe that's why Jacksonville State considered. But for football, it really kind of would surprise me just with Jacksonville State seemingly always, always up there at the top of the OVC. But right, I, 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 and I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, sure. I, what I've heard is hearsay. Sure, I've heard it so they could be an independent and possibly get into bowl, the bowl championship series or whatever it's called these days. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think the A Sun has football, do they? I didn't think so. so yeah, I think yeah, that that was something that they were gonna possibly, I guess. If the two teams went to the A Sun, I think with also Central Arkansas, I guess that would basically jumpstart the Atlantic Sun uh, uh, football conference. Okay, that, and that's like I said, everything I, I heard on that, the Jacksonville State EKU leave was all hearsay. I can't remember who who had told me that, but um, they they had told me it was a football move. They were going to play independent and move up levels. Well, hopefully, it'll work out for them. But uh, I hope so. You spent that's, time. That's, no, that's that's two good team, really good teams on the basketball side that we're losing. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Especially, I and mean, you look at what they've done this year. Uh, Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State both up there near the top, and with with those two leaving, you kind of wonder if what the Ohio Valley is going to do. Are they going to want to try and get another program into uh, the Ohio Valley for football? and basketball purposes because i know if you if you look at football you know i mean siue and belmont don't have a team morehead state plays in a different conference for football so i don't know if if they're going to look for a school that has a football program that would insert into the ohio valley because if not i mean there's a team in the a sun with like lipscomb that you know kind of makes sense if they end up coming this way because you already have uh belmont and tennessee state both in nashville already Right. And, you know, we kind of sat around as a staff and talked about it a little bit, who we think that the OVC might try to get. I, we have no idea. Yeah, it's wide open. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the, if they'll try to bring in another basketball, f- football. I, I have no clue. So you spent time with the Tennessee Tech program at the beginning of your coaching career. You were hired as the director of basketball operations for the Golden Eagles program. What was it like being on staff and working underneath Coach Mike Sutton? You know, Tennessee Tech was great. Um, it really let me cut my teeth. Coach Sutton was great. He, he involved me in all the meetings, and, you know, I got to learn a lot from somebody who had done it at a high level. Uh, he was on Kentucky's cha- national championship team under Coach Smith. So I, I did get to learn a lot over those two years. You know, he was very demanding of you, um, expected a lot of you, but it, it taught me. It, it taught me a work ethic that, you know, being my first year, I was very fortunate to be put in the situation I was in. So having spent having spent time both at Tennessee Tech and UT Martin and basically getting around in the Ohio Valley on the road, is there a, a favorite place you like to play at on the road as a coach? Is there a – I'm sorry. A, a favorite arena say? that you like to play at in the Ohio Valley? I love home games. 
no, it's uh, Murray's always a fun time. You know, their, their fans are really into it. Um, that place gets loud. You know, Tennessee State when when they're they're rocking and rolling, man. Their fans are are rowdy, and it's a great environment. Um, you know, there's a lot of good places to play in this league. You know, there's there's, there's a lot of fun places to play with good fans and. Um, so no, I, I wouldn't say any one I enjoy more than the other. Okay. Outside of being at home. <laughs> you played professionally overseas in Denmark. What was the environment like playing in Denmark or even, you know, even what was the travel like playing overseas there? For the most part, the travel was the same. Um, we did take a cruise ship to a game one time. We we went and played in <laughs> Norway so we, we hopped on a ship. That was my first time ever going on a cruise ship. Uh, spent the night on that. Woke up the next day. And we're in Norway. Played a little tournament over there. I think we were there for two or three days. And uh, and took a boat back. It wasn't a cruise ship coming back. It was a, I don't know, it went a lot faster. Um, outside of that, you know, most of the time it was the same. It was a, taking a bus to games. You know, we never had to fly. Outside of the, going to Norway, we never left Denmark. Okay. Um, we took a train, train one time uh, to a game, but most of the time it was just travel by bus. And, the, and as far as the environments go, it the courts over there were different. There were so many lines on the court; it got a little confusing at times. From uh, handball over in Denmark is their national sport, okay, and there were a ton of lines all over the uh, every court we played in because they they doubled as handball courts as well. Um, but no, it was fans were great. You know, they they would get rowdy at times, and yeah, I really had fun doing it. So, with that being your first actual cruise, do you have any like experience like seasick or anything, or just basically pass out the on the, I guess the ride over and just wake up the next day? The ride over wasn't bad. Coming back on the the faster boat, I did get a little seasick. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It was rocking back and forth. I went and just sat back down in my seat and put my head on the seat in front of me and just closed my eyes. Couldn't wait to get back. Oh yeah, I've never been on a cruise and I feel like that that's what would happen to me. So I've been trying to steer clear of that for as long as possible. The, the ride over, you couldn't feel the boat moving. The other one you felt every little oh. felt like you felt every little wave and and bump. <laughs> Uh, to kind of wrap this up, we we ask every guest we have on this, uh, where is your favorite place to eat at in either Martin, Tennessee, or on the road while playing in the Ohio Valley Conference? Oh, let's see. You know, I, 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 I saw your questions you sent me, and I was really thinking about this. At home here is probably La Cabana. La Cabana. Um, a local restaurant here. Love it. You know, it's Taco Tuesday today. So been over there quite a few times. Um, on the road, I wouldn't say I have a favorite. Just, you know, you get different variety when, when you go to different places. Um, when you go to Nashville, you got a lot of, obviously, a lot of things. So every, every little spot probably, you know, has different restaurants that we try to go to. Okay. Well, I know you're you're working your way up to towards the Edwardsville area. Uh, I live kind of nearby there. So if, if you guys have the chance, uh, there's a place called Peel Pizza. Uh, not sure if you've heard of it or had it before since your coaching days around the St. Louis area, but Peel Pizza is a pretty good uh, pizza place in the St. Louis area, and I believe believe there's one in Edwardsville. 
So. Okay, okay. Our our director of ops had actually brought up Emos to me the other day. Emos is also good. So he he had, he had mentioned Emos that he he's a fan of Emos. So yeah, if you wouldn't mind, text me that that I'll pass that along to him. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. We're all we're always looking for new new spots to eat at restaurant wise. Okay, yeah, I will for sure do that. But uh, Coach Carpenter, it was great having you on. Uh, it was good, you know, getting to hear everything UT Martin related and getting your thoughts on basically everything Ohio Valley Conference, your time at Tennessee Tech, and uh, your travels through the sea at Denmark. Uh, <laughs> but with that, uh, good luck the rest of the way. These two games coming up against SIUE and Eastern, and hopefully we'll see you guys uh, in the tournament in Evansville. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. Yeah, I tell you what, TJ, I mean – for myself, I really enjoyed having Coach Carpenter on for the interview. I know you were unable to make it, um, but it was great hearing Coach Carpenter's thoughts on the UT Martin program this year, what it was like, you know, basically getting through this COVID-riddled season, uh, and then basically just all things Ohio Valley Conference related, dating back to his time as the director of basketball operations for Tennessee Tech. Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to it. Uh I guess fortunately we're playing again, so I had the opportunity to coach when you had that interview, and we just couldn't get the schedule to work out for all three of us. But that's why it's nice to be co-hosts and not the only hosts. So you know, <laughs> have things life pops up and logistics uh, have to happen a certain way. But I appreciate you doing that for us. So to kind of round out the show here, we're going to do our all-conference first team and you know player of the year for the uh, for the two conferences. Uh, so, TJ, I'll let you go first for the Missouri Valley. I started out with uh, Larry Bird Player of the Year. I think it's Cameron Crutwig this year. Uh, I think I had somebody else that probably will be very close in the voting, but I think in my mind, I gave if I were to vote, I would give Crutwig the edge because of his teams in first place right now. I think they're a better team than Drake, despite them being tied. And it's kind of his career, too. You know, he, he in league play, 14 and a half points. He's fifth in the league in scoring, eighth in rebounding. This is the stat I found. He is fourth in assists in the league at 3.7. So your post player is your the league's fourth leading assist guy. Um, so I think he's Larry Bird player of the year. I think if someone else could sneak in there and get that or who will get several second place votes and a handful of first place votes, I think it's Missouri State's Gage Prim. Um, Third in the league in scoring at 15.9 points per game. Leads the league in rebounding at 9.9. So if he has a good weekend uh, this weekend against Evansville, he could average a double-double for the season. He has 3.2 assists per game, good for seventh in the league. He's third in blocks per game, and he's 10th in steals per game. So he's just filling up the stat sheet for Missouri State. Um, My third pick, or my, my second pick for all-conference team since we're going to put the player of the year by, by themselves is uh, Tyreek Key from Indiana State. 18.6 points per game, good for second in the league. Uh, almost six rebounds per game, almost two assists per game and a steal per game. Uh, my third all-conference member is Isaiah Mosley from Missouri State, leading the league in scoring at 19.6 points per game, which is a full point better than Tyreek Key. He is seventh in rebounding at 6.7 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists per game, good for sixth in the league, and 1.1 steals per game. 
My fourth pick is Roman Penn from Drake. He's 20th in the league in scoring. First in assists at 5.1 assists per game and second in steals at 1.2 per game. And he leads the league in assist to turnover ratio at 2.4, which I thought was pretty impressive. You get anything over one, it's really good. Absolutely. And and he's, you know, double that. There's just one other guy, I forget who it is off the top of my head, that has 2.2. And then I went back and forth, and finally I I decided on Tank Hemphill of Drake. Sixth in the league in scoring, fifth in the league in rebounding when he got hurt, and tenth in steals along with uh, Gage Krim. And I think what it was for me is partially where Drake's at in the standings, but also when he was in there, his – his ability on the press, the point of their press to just create such havoc. And I think he's been a big part of their success this year, you know, along with Roman Penn. So, you know, it would be great if we could get tank back for the uh, NBC tournament next week, but I'm not holding my breath, but I think that that's my top five plus Cameron Crutwig as player of the year. And I, you know, I'm, I'm open to suggestions about some other guys and trust me, I went back and forth the whole time I've been with that, that fifth spot. You know, it's hard to argue with that top five, um, but just just seeing everything that's you know transpired here, you know, in the Missouri Valley this year, and when you think of uh, big names in the conference, you know, going back to last year uh, and what have you, I'm a little surprised that you didn't have uh, Elijah Childs in your uh, all conference. Yeah, he's he's the one that I was kind of back and forth with with Tank Hemphill for that fifth spot. Uh, he's sixth in the league in scoring, second in rebounding, you know, 8.3 point rebounds per game, and uh, fourth in blocks per game. Of all the guys that I mentioned uh, today, he's the highest one up there in blocks per game. And it, again, kind of like Crutwig over Prim for player of the year, I, I chose Tank over Childs because of the success of the season. You know, I, I find it tough to only have one Loyola guy on the on this list, given how well they're playing, but it was by far and away, correct way. But yeah, I also thought about DJ Horn from Illinois State, who's had a great year, and Austin Fife, who is a, I believe, a preseason first team nomination as well. So yeah, if if it comes out, I think Monday is when all conference comes out for the NBC, and Elijah Childs is on there, and uh, Hemphill is not. I I have no problem with that. Either one of those. Okay. For myself on the Ohio Valley side. Uh, you player of the year here first. Uh, I think if you ask me, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Terry Taylor, he's just on another level in the Ohio Valley than a lot of the players in the conference. Uh, leading the conference in points with over 22 and then rebounds with 11.3. Uh, he's He was leading the country in double-doubles. Um, I'm not sure if he still is, but he was up until last week. Um, but that's just how good Terry Taylor has been, you know, shooting and on the boards. Um, so nothing nothing more to say really about Terry Taylor. Uh, all around, great player in the OVC. Uh, my other five, we'll, we'll start out with K.J. Williams, Murray State. Fourth in scoring with nearly 16 points per game. Second in rebounds in the conference with almost nine he has scored at least 15 points and 13 in the last 15 games, so he's really been starting to heat it up as Murray State has been as a team collectively, uh, shooting nearly 58% from the floor. Uh, 
he's been great for Murray State on offense. He's also been a factor on defense as well. He brings a big presence around the rim and just been a good player for Murray State this year, and especially as of late. Uh, second, uh, Grayson Murphy at Belmont. He's not in the top five in scoring, but damn, he's done a lot of other stuff very well this year for the Bruins, averaging over 10 points per contest while also leading the conference in assists with over five, 5.3. Steals with 2.2. Leads the conference in field goal percentage, shooting over 61% from the floor. And he's also in the top five in rebounds with nearly eight. So he's a guy on Belmont that really... He gets a lot of his teammates involved. I know when you've been thinking about Belmont lately, Ben Shepard's been playing really well for the Bruins. Shepard's only averaging 10.7, but Grayson Murphy's been doing a great job getting him involved lately. And, you know, Nick, Nick Muzinski as well. You know, Muzinski leads their team in points. But Murphy, you know, he's fifth on the team in scoring for Belmont. But he's basically what's driving that offense is he's all over the floor. So that's why he makes makes my all-conference team. Third, we'll go down to Moorhead State. Uh, Johnny Broom averaging over 13 points per contest while pulling down over eight rebounds, which is fourth in the conference. He's not in the top five in scoring, but he's been a big, big catalyst for uh, Moorhead State. Moorhead State hasn't been a big factor on offense. That's why... Broom doesn't have you know that many points compared to other players in the league. However, his 13 points per game, as I just mentioned, uh, is tops for uh, Moorhead State. Uh, he also leads the conference in block shots with just a tick under two, and he's also in the top five in field goal percentage. So that's three outside of the Terry Taylor Player of the Year. We'll go to the last two for the all-conference team. Fourth, Trey King uh, at Eastern Kentucky, averaging over 15 points per game, which is good enough to be in the top five in the conference. He is collecting six rebounds per game, and he also makes the list for top five in blocks. And that was one of the guys I got to see play in person down when we went down to Richmond. And he's uh, – talk about an athletic guy. I mean – He's ran into some troubles here lately with getting into foul trouble, and I think that's why that's why his points per game has dipped a little bit, or else it'd be a little bit higher than 15. But man, he can uh, he can flat out play. The last guy I have on the All Conference team for me, first team. I don't know if he's going to get get the nod when the awards are uh, handed out, um, but he would definitely make my list. Mm-hmm. And that's Mark Freeman at Tennessee State. Okay. Why Why am I questioning? Is he going to be on there? Well, when you look at awards that are handed out, and it doesn't matter if it's college basketball, Major League Baseball, what have you, most of the awards are handed out based on how they've helped their team win. Right. But Tennessee State only has four wins this season. So there's a, I mean, there's a good chance he doesn't make that all-conference first team. But if, if I was voting, uh, he would get a vote for me. Um, so he, he may not get all the credit that he deserves. Uh, but however, he is the guy for Tennessee State. He's third in the conference in scoring with over 16 points per game. He's top five in assists with 4.7. Also in the top five in steals with over two per contest. 
and he's also pulling down uh, nearly four and a half rebounds per game. Now, the one area that I would like to have seen him improve on a little bit, uh, he's shooting just below 40% from the floor, but a lot of that has to do with his three-point shooting. He's only shooting 27% from distance. Now, he is only a sophomore, so, I mean, that should improve as his career, I would like to think, would continue at Tennessee State, you know, next year and, you know, if he plays all four years there. Um, so the one area that that really st- stuck out to me, stuck out to me, excuse me, uh, would be his assists. Because you look at his field goal percentage, you'd be like, oh, well, he must he shoots a lot. Yeah, but he's also getting the rest of his team involved with, you know, those nearly five assists per game. So Mark Freeman rounds out uh, my top five for the uh, all-conference first team outside of uh, Terry Taylor. Did you feel like there was anyone else in strong consideration, or did you feel like it was pretty cut-and-dry deal? Uh, I think you got to look at Nick Musinski for Belmont. Uh, he was okay. he was right there with, you know, trying to get in there for a spot, uh, averaging over 15 points per game, uh, five and a half rebounds for for Belmont, and then he also leads the Maroons in block shots with, you know, 1.6. But other than that, um, there was another guy on there, but I'm going to leave him for, uh, for next week, uh, as I know okay. we got some other uh, stuff to talk about, you know, for next week's episode as well. Get a pile on the Terry Taylor uh, bandwagon here. He's only the fifth player in OVC history to be to have two thousand points and a thousand rebounds, joining the likes of Kenneth Faree, Popeye Jones, and Ralph Crawford. If I hope I'm saying that right, and Jim McDaniel's, and he's the only player in the country with two thousand points and one thousand rebounds. I, he's on another level. I mean, there. Yeah. I I really want to see how he does at the next level. I mean, I'd be shocked if he's if he's not in the NBA. I I just I'd be blown away. Yeah. Um, Looking and, at the active career leaders right now, he's got twenty four hundred career points. Muzinski has thirteen hundred career points. It's rebounds. He's got twelve hundred. KJ Williams has five hundred eighty. It's ridiculous. So. It's, it's just absolutely ridiculous what he's been able to do for the governors down there at Austin P. I, I do have what I think is breaking news. At least it's breaking news to, to me. I'll see what you have to say. Um, looking at the OVC presser, they're going a traditional eight team bracket. There's no double buy. There's no buy. They're going to go eight teams and they're going to have seven games next week. Yeah. I, uh, I saw that on the OVC website. Um, yeah, and I went back, and they definitely still do the double by last year. So we didn't like we're not that far behind, but I must have missed that. That really changes it. If Eastern Illinois gets in as the eight seed against Belmont, it's a different team than they've seen this year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it it's just been a year unlike unlike anything else. So, I mean, if you if you're a Belmont and you know you play Eastern Illinois and you fall. I mean, people are going to be shocked, but it's just, it just goes mm-hmm. right hand, you know, right there with everything else this year, you know, right. Expect the unexpected. So I don't know. It, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yep. Uh, but with that, TJ, do you have any final thoughts? I don't just hope we have some good games this weekend and uh, start the 
the greatest weekend of the year next weekend. Couldn't have said it better myself. Should be a fun, <laughs> should be a fun couple weeks here uh, coming up, especially this coming week for the OVC in Missouri Valley. But with that, that'll wrap up episode 36 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Again, a special thanks to assistant coach Zach Carpenter for taking time this week to join the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at View Valleys Pod, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. Have a safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.